Welcome to episode 20 of Revelation, an Idealist Interpretation. I'm Father Ron Shibley, founder and director of the Anglican Internet Church and producer of this series. If you've not already viewed episode 2, which is my primer on numerology and Revelation, I urge you to do so since understanding how John used numerology is critical to understanding Revelation and this series. The focus of this episode is chapter 14, the third of three chapters in Act 1 of the Divine Drama, a system of organizing the second half of Revelation, and which I discussed in episode 17. As in chapters 12 and 13, John's perspective in chapter 14 is earthly, looking up toward heaven. The chapter marks the beginning of the redemption following the rampages of the beasts in chapters 12 and 13. I have divided the readings from chapter 14 into five parts. The first reading is verses 1 through 5. The illustration is the Lamb on Mount Zion, folio 34 in the Bamberg Apocalypse, an early 11th century illuminated manuscript of Revelation. Then I looked, and behold, a lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven, like the voice of many waters, and like the voice of loud thunder. And I heard the sound of harpists playing their harps. They sang, as it were, a new song before the throne, before the four living creatures and the elders. And no one could learn that song except the 144,000 who were redeemed from the earth. These are the ones who were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever he goes. These were redeemed from among men, being first fruits to God and to the Lamb. And in their mouth was found no deceit, for they are without fault before the throne of God. In chapter 14, verse 1, we read the first sign of hope of redemption from the rampages of the various beasts in chapters 12 and 13. St. John looks and sees the, quote, lamb standing upon Mount Zion. This is the first mention of the Lamb since his first appearance in Revelation 5, verse 6, in which the elders fall down before him, and Revelation 7, verses 9, 10, and 17, the sealing of God's servants. The New Testament precedent for Christ as the Lamb is in St. John's Gospel account of Jesus' first encounter with John the Baptist, who says, Behold! the Lamb of God, in John 1, 29. The Old Testament precedent is Isaiah's description of the suffering servant led to the slaughter from Isaiah 53, 7. In the idealist view, Mount Zion is a spiritual allusion to the church universal or the temple which is in heaven in Revelation fourteen seventeen or the heavenly temple in Revelation 21, 9-27, and not the temple mount at Jerusalem. 
the author of Hebrews made the same connection in Hebrews 12, verse 22. Hebrews is traditionally credited to St. Paul. With him are 144,000 of his servants, their number being the magical number 144,000, discussed in episode 2, The Primer on Revelation, and again in episode 12, The Sealing of God's Servants. 144,000 is the result of the magical number 12, which is the tribes of Israel, multiplied by 12, the apostles, and then by 8,000 from a Hebrew word which means a great many. Later in verse 3, St. John declares that these are those, quote, redeemed from the earth with the presumption that they are the same 144,000 mentioned in Revelation 7, 3 to 8 in the account of the sealing of God's servants. Their foreheads are marked, not blasphemously, with the mark of the beast from Revelation, Revelation 13, 16 to 18, but with his father's name in the manner suggested in Revelation 7, verses 3 to 8, and in the Old Testament by the headband worn by the temple priests, worthiness to the Lord from Exodus 28, verses 36 and Exodus 39, verse 30. In earlier slides in episode 10 on Revelation 5, verses 6 to 10, this was treated as representing Christ the Lamb amidst his church, represented by the elders. The anonymous artists who prepared the Bamberg Apocalypse depict him with a Greek cross in the halo behind his head, with the horizontal bar and only the top half of the vertical bar visible, that has become a traditional image of Christ. As in the Old Testament appearances of God in verse 2, there are voices from heaven, in this case sounding like many waters and loud thunder, images used by St. John in Revelation 4 verse 5, 8 verse 5, 10 verses 3 and 4, or the seven thunders, all of which recall Exodus 19 verse 16. It also recalls Psalm 29, verse 3, The voice of the Lord is upon the waters. It is the glorious God that maketh the thunder, which was also quoted in episode 15 on Revelation 10, verse 3. To this classic Old Testament imagery, St. John adds, adds the sound of harpists playing their harps, which is the basis in the Christian tradition for the association of angels and heavenly sounds with harps. Also in verse 3 the, is the reintroduction of the four living creatures who first appeared in Revelation 4, verses 6 to 9, Revelation 5, 6 to 11, Revelation 6, 1 to 8, Revelation 7, verse 11, all based upon Ezekiel's vision from Ezekiel 1, 5, and 21, and the elders who first appeared in Revelation 4, 4, and 10, 5, 8, and 7, 11 to 15. This time, John gives no number for the elders who numbered 24 in the earlier citations. In verse 3, St. John mentions another new song sung by the angelic voices, 
the second mention of a new song in Revelation. The first was Revelation 5.9, in which the Lamb is declared worthy to open the scroll. The Old Testament precedent for the concept of a new song being needed is Psalm 33, verse 3, 96.1, 98.1, 144.9, and 149.1. This new song, for which no words were offered by St. John, can only be learned by the 144,000 redeemed from the earth. In traditional early Christian thinking, especially in the early church, these are often known as the faithful remnant. In verse 4 and 5, St. John offers more descriptions of the virtues of the 144,000. First, they are not defiled with women, for they are virgins. In the Septuagint Old Testament, that is the Greek Old Testament, there is a clear association between prostitution and idolatry and another association between virginity and virtue. The Septuagint translation of Isaiah 7.14 refers to the virgin in Greek Parthenos, who would give birth. The Hebrew Masoretic scholars working in the 900 years after Christ changed that translation of virgin to young woman. They are said to follow the Lamb wherever he goes, which is most likely an allusion to St. John's account of the I am the Good Shepherd declaration in John 10, verses 1 to 18, and the continuation in John 10, verse 27, I am the Good Shepherd. The Good Shepherd gives his life for the sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. This and the other I Am declarations are discussed in episode 29 through episode 35 in the AIC Bible study series, New Testament Gospels and Epistles, accessible from the Bible study page at www.anglicaninternetchurch.net. The illustration for this slide is a stained glass window of Christ and a lamb at St. Mary's Church in Halifax, Nova Scotia. The remaining virtues, the first fruits to God and the Lamb, and have no deceit in their mouth and without fault before the throne of God, allude to Old Testament concepts of personal virtue, such as that in this dialogue between Ruth and Naomi in Ruth 1, verses 16 to 18. The illustration is a detail from Ruth and Naomi by William Blake. But Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you, for wherever you go, I will go, and wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. The Lord said to me, and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. When they saw that she was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking to her. The second reading from chapter 14 is verses 6 through 8. The illustration is folio 35, three angels flying from the Bamberg Apocalypse. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, 
and having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, and tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and springs of water. And another angel followed, saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen. That great city, because she has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. The other angel in verse 6 is the first of three angels in chapter 14. They preach the everlasting gospel to all who dwell on earth, indeed to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. The New Testament precedent is the Great Commission, Jesus' last commandment to the apostles in Matthew 28, 18-20, and Luke 24, 44-48, commanding and empowering them to preach the gospel to the whole world. This inclusive phrase appears again in whole or in part in Revelation 5, 9, 7, 9, 10, 11, 11, 9, and 13, 7. In verse 7, the angel announces that the hour of his judgment has come and calls the world to worship, fear God, and give glory to him. The Old Testament precedents are Proverbs 1, 7, fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, and also Ecclesiasticus from the Deuterocanonical Old Testament, the root of wisdom is to fear the Lord, from Ecclesiasticus 1, verse 18, in the SAAS text. Two other precedents are found in the Psalms, from Psalm 103, 11, and 13, For look how high the heaven is in comparison of the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. Even so, the Lord is merciful to them that fear him. And from Psalm 33, 17, Behold, the eye of the Lord is upon them that fear him and upon them that put their trust in his mercy. The angel's reference to the hour of judgment has come and the references to both judgment and worship may be allusions to the statement Jesus made in John's presence and reported in his gospel in John 2 verse 4, My hour is not yet come. Hour comes from the Greek hora, which means a specific period of time. Later in St. John's Gospel, Jesus said, But the hour is coming and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. That's John 4, verse 23. The illustration for this and the next slide is the Christ Pantocrator icon at St. Catherine's Monastery, Sinai, the oldest known extant icon of Christ, which was painted in the 6th century. In John 12, verse 20, Jesus speaks again of the imminence of judgment. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. In Revelation 14, verse 7, and the verses that follow, the hour has now come when all will be judged.
In verse 7, a second angel announces that Babylon has fallen because she has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. This Babylon is not the historical kingdom of Babylon that took the Israelites into captivity, but St. John's allusion to Rome and its empire, a spiritual Babylon, which conquered most of the known world, an image used again in Revelation 17, verse 5. Some believe that the wine of wrath of her fornication in verse 8 refers to the blasphemy of emperors who call themselves gods and persecution of many peoples and nations, including the Hebrews. A similar indirect reference to Rome is St. John's numbering of the beast in Revelation 13, verse 8, discussed in an earlier episode. The phrase wine of wrath is used again in the next set of readings in verse 10 with an interesting variation. The third reading from chapter 14 is verses 9 through 12. Then a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast in his image and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night, who worship the beast and his image, and whoever receives the mark of his name. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. What the third angel describes in verses 9 to 12 is the judgmental wine of the wrath of God, against those who worship the beast or his image, or who bear his mark on their foreheads. Their fate is graphically described in verse 10, torment with fire and brimstone in the presence of the angels and the Lamb. They will have no rest day or night forever and ever. Fire and brimstone recall the fate of Sodom and Gomorrah, spoken of in episode 16 regarding Revelation 11 verse 8. It is also suggestive of the fires of Molech in the valley of Hinnom, or Greek Gehenna, outside Jerusalem, which is referred to in 2 Kings 23, verse 10, 2 Chronicles 28, 3, and Jeremiah 7, 31, and 32, and Jeremiah 19, 1 to 15. The difference between the eternal torment of the followers of the beast and the fate of the faithful will be demonstrated in verse 13 in the next set of readings. The wrath that is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation in verse 10a is an allusion to an Old Testament-based worship tradition in the temple in which the priest diluted the wine with water in a ratio three parts wine to one part water. This should be compared to the promise in the final verse, here is the patience of the saints, the second use of the same phrase, the first being in Revelation 13.10. The saints are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. 
This also is an allusion to the difference between the fate described for the worshipers of the beast and the promises to the faithful in Revelation 7, verses 10 to 15, who will, quote, neither hunger any more nor thirst any more and will enjoy living fountains of waters and who are assured that God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. St. John will allude to the traditional concept of rest in Revelation 14, verse 13, in the next set of readings. The fourth and final reading from chapter 14 is verses 13 to 20. The illustration is the message from the harvest, folio 37, in the Bamberg Apocalypse. Then I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Write, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, and their works follow them. Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and on the cloud sat one like the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, Thrust in your sickle and reap. For the time has come for you to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. So he sat on the cloud, he who sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. Then another angel came out of the temple which is in heaven, he also having a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar, who had power over fire, and he cried with a loud voice to him who had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in your sharp sickle, and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. So the angel thrust his sickle into the earth, and gathered the vine of the earth, and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trampled outside the city, and blood came out of the winepress up to the horse's bridles for 1,600 furlongs. These eight final verses in chapter 14 are among the most difficult and complex so far in Revelation. In verse 13, John receives another instruction on from on high to write a beatitude, the second of seven in Revolution, Re Revelation. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. For more on the scriptural meaning of blessed, see part two of the AIC Bookstore publication, Christian Spirituality and Anglican Perspective, available in paperback or Kindle at Amazon.com right slash author right slash Ronald hyphen E hyphen Shibley. 100% of all book royalties are donated to the AIC. It is ratified by the Spirit, yes, that they may rest from their labors and their works follow them. Here John means the same Spirit, the Holy Spirit, who inspired John and who was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, when the vision came in Revelation, Revelation 1.10. Verse 13 is only two short sentences, but the meaning is very complex. Especially important are these three words, rest, labor, and works. In traditional Hebrew Old Testament tradition, there were three kinds of rest. Sabbath day rest, 
refuge, as in the flight from captivity in Egypt and in the kingdom of God, referring to those who are blessed of the Lord and who lead righteous lives, as explained in the commandments and in Psalm 1. In the New Testament era, it is Hebrews, traditionally credited to St. Paul, which provides illumination as to the meaning. The author of Hebrews explains why some in the Old Testament era were denied God's rest using the two-edged sword image which St. John used in Revelation 1.16. Here's Hebrews 4.11-13. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. In verse 14, another detail, first used in chapter 1, appears again. This is the one like the Son of Man, which was first read in Revelation 1.13b, based on Daniel 7, and discussed in detail in episodes 3 and 4. He appears on a white cloud, wearing a golden crown and bearing a sickle. The New Testament precedent is Mark 13.26, then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. The loud voice image is used again in verse 15 to describe the instruction from another angel, the fourth in this chapter, the time has come for you to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. The sickle harvesting image of what is to come in the next verses has two Old Testament precedents, uh, excuse me, New Testament precedents, the parable of the wheat and the tares in Matthew thirteen twenty-four to 43, and the parable of the scattered seed or the growing seed in Mark 4, 26 to 29. But when the grain ripens immediately, he, the grower, puts it in the sickle because the harvest has come. That's Mark 4, 29. The one like the Son of Man reaps in verse 18, sticking the sickle in the earth. Afterward, in verse 19, a fifth angel appears, followed by a sixth angel, this one having power over fire and also bearing a sickle, urging immediate harvesting, gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are truly ripe. The instruction repeats nearly word for word the prophecy of Joel 3.13, put in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come, go down, for the winepress is full, the vats overflow, for their wickedness is great. And the previously quoted line from the parable of the scattered seed in Mark 4.26-29. In verse 19, the angel harvests the, harvests the vine of the earth, and throws it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. The winepress image recalls a harvesting image of tithing from Numbers 18.27, and your heave offering shall be reckoned to you as though it were the grain of the threshing floor and as the fullness of the winepress. 
John refers to wine presses again in later chapters of Revelation. This is the origin of the term, the grapes of wrath. In verse 20, John says the winepress was trampled outside the city. The term is derived from the Hebrew practice of performing certain tasks outside the walls or outside the camp, meaning not within the holy grounds of the temple or tabernacle. Examples are the burning of entrails in Ophel in Exodus 29.14 and Leviticus 4.11-12 and in the New Testament era, the stoning of St. Stephen in Acts 7 verses 54-60 and also the crucifixion of Christ. The vast quantity of blood which flows in verse 20 was as deep as the bridles of the horses for 1,600 furlongs which is four times four times thousand, or about 184 miles. The horror of it echoes the image found in Zechariah 14, 2 to 12, a prophecy of judgment upon all the people who have fought against Jerusalem. With verse 20, the judgment of the world, aside from the 144 of the faithful remnant, is complete. Next time in episode 21, the focus is on chapters 15 and 16. The seven angels and the seven plagues are bowls of wrath, which together are act two of the divine drama of the second half of Revelation. Thank you for joining me for episode 20 in Revelation, an Idealist Interpretation. This internet-based ministry is entirely supported by public contributions and book sales. You can help by making a donation in any amount payable to the Anglican Internet Church and sending it to our business office address, 7162 Softwind Lane, Mechanicsville, Virginia, 23111. Or you can purchase any of our books through my author page at Amazon.com, right slash author, right slash Ronald hyphen E hyphen Shibley. 100% of all book royalties are contributed to the AIC. Or you can like us and subscribe to our podcast at our Podbean site, which hosts our extensive collection of hundreds of MP3 podcasts on a variety of topics. While you're at our YouTube page, I invite you to join our Google Plus circle by clicking the subscribe button. As a Google Plus member, you'll receive notice of each new video. Our new URL address is www.youtube.com right slash C right slash St. John C. Or you can follow us and like us on the AIC Facebook page using the link on the page or going to the homepage at our website, www.anglicaninternetchurch.net, and using the link you'll find there, and then bookmarking the page for easy return. Or you can read and subscribe to my weekly blog posts at anglicaninternetchurch.wordpress.com. And finally, you can request the weekly update, a weekly email, with the latest news and links to the most recent videos, podcasts, blog posts, and publications. Send your request directly to me at frron.stjohnanglican at earthlink.net. 
the names and email addresses of all recipients of the weekly update are blocked to protect your privacy. You can remove your name at any time simply by sending another email request. If you'd like to speak with me personally about this program or any other subject, please call 804-559-2690. The best times are 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Monday through Friday Eastern Time. If you do not reach me, please leave your name, a message, and a callback number. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be merciful to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. This program has been a presentation of the Anglican Internet Church. We invite you to visit our website and use its resources, www.anglicaninternetchurch.net.